Mr. Cobb, your son is not in the pool. Your son is nowhere in the neighborhood. I'm telling you, I saw him in the pool. He was in the swimming pool. And I ran, and I dove in. And he wasn't there. Mr. Cobb, we've got an APB out on your son. We'll let you know as soon as we have some. It was the house. It was the house that did it. Right, Mrs. Hoover, we understand. Telling you, Roger, it's the house. Will you shut up? Will you shut up just for once, you old bat? Touchy. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your Captain Will. And I'm your nerd, Jess. Today, we are talking the 1986 horror comedy fantasy movie, House, directed by Steve Miner and starring the greatest American hero, William Catt. Also with a uh, an appearance by George Went, who was uh, Norm in Cheers, by the way. And uh, Bull from Night Court, don't forget Bull. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And so we are uh, very happy and privileged once again to have with us Megan Salinas, a horror aficionado and podcaster. Welcome back, Megan. Salutations, gentlemen. And greetings. Greetings and salutations, yes. So... So we're going to get started talking about this movie, House, from 1986. I think in a previous uh, episode I mentioned it was 1985, but that was a mistake. Uh, but so, as is our want, we will begin with a like non-spoilery general impressions review and rating, and then we will uh, quickly move on to the uh, heavy spoiler talk. So let's just get started. Um, Jess, okay. what were your... <laughs> General impression, non-spoilery impression. Non-spoilery impressions. All right. Oh, Uh, boy. I'm not sure the exact release order of these episodes, but we talked about the Babadook and uh, the Thing, and the Thing was very uh, well received by the members of this podcast, and we still look upon it with fond memories. Mm. Uh, The Babadook. I had a bad first date with, but then, you know, she called and we went out and had some coffee and talked it over and, you know, learned more about each other. And now I love her. Yeah. Um, she, yes. Tale and you guys, this time. you guys, uh, by ganging up on me, were able to, <laughs> uh, change how I, how you, you changed my feelings. Okay. And I don't think you'll play that particular card twice. Because <laughs> that's not going to happen uh, with this particular movie, and it just, it's you know it, it's not, the movie just w- wants to make me sing, and how better to sing than in the words of uh, the great and powerful Linda Rodstadt in her song "You're No Good," in which she says, "You're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, baby you're, you're no, no good. good," and then. If you read the lyrics, it says, I'm going to say it again. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good, house. You're no good. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's... But yes, I... Uh, I like I was, that this I... podcast turned into karaoke. Yeah, I love I it when talking about that. That was the first time I sang publicly in my life. Well, you're welcome. Um, but no, this movie I saw back in the heyday of the eight days. And uh, it was a lot different. 
seeing it as a small person than it is <laughs> sure. thirty for sure thirty years later. I, I did think to myself if I if I had been a teenager watching this on TV or a middle schooler watching this on TV, my experience might have been a little different. Yeah, I could definitely see how like as a, a, a like a kid that parts of it would have scared me a lot more. Yeah, I guess. And like kids these days, they grow up and they have like Lord of the Rings and they have um, uh, what, uh, Bridge to Terabithia, you know, movies like that that are actually made in modern times with uh, good uh, special effects. But 1986 is that special time where the effects are of a certain level that you have to be John Carpenter and you have to be making the thing and you have to approach it with some sort of skill and talent to be able to pull it off. And uh, oh, who did you say the director was? Steve Miner. Okay, did he also write it? Uh, no, he did not. It was written by Fred Decker, who did the story, and Ethan Wiley, who did the screenplay. Okay, well, uh, Fred Decker... His parents didn't love him, obviously, because oh my God. <laughs> this dude, this, this story is this story is the type of story that a child would write that didn't have parents that loved him that were like, you know, supporting him to become better. You know what I'm saying? So because that never happened. And then the story be- became a thing. So now we've seen it. And, I'm uh, getting, I'm sensing that you're not super fond of this movie. Not super fond, but the, the story of the child who is unloved, it, re, it, it, it relates into the movie. I mean, there's a child in this movie who is like totally unloved. And we'll get into that. What are you talking about? <laughs> His parents are falling apart. Because we'll get into God. that as we talk about it. Are you speaking of Jimmy, the plot device? The little Jimmy. <laughs> little Jimmy who's trapped little in a Jimmy, well. Oh, no. Device. Yes. Yeah, okay. So how many uh, houses out of 10 would you give house? <laughs> well, I grew up in a big house that had, between the, the basement and the attic, there were like nine rooms. Mm-hmm. And they were full of great and wonderful things. I give this movie, um, it's like a studio apartment, you know? I give it... I'm going to give it a, sh- a solid, strong five. Like, not even wow. a four. I'm going to go in four. Four. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. This got lower than She Dies Tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least that one had pretty colors. <laughs> That's true. Those okay. colors were very pretty. Megan, what's your general impressions of this movie? I re- I think it's because of the 1986 production values, but there was a lot in this movie that reminded me of the Stephen King um, miniseries for the adaptation of It. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, like it yeah. focuses on a writer. There's that the the little synthy musical stings uh, <laughs> felt very reminiscent of the it mini. So eighties. Uh, the eighties hairstyles and sweaters. <laughs> and Are even... you talking about that ridiculously deep V neck V neck sweater is <laughs> wearing? <laughs> <laughs> the the television actors like for me, I would never have guessed that this was a theatrical film. I kind like. If you had told me we were sitting down to watch a Stephen King made-for-TV movie from the 80s, I would have believed you. But here's <laughs> You're the like, thing. yeah, that tracks. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, but here's the thing. I don't necessarily mean that in a derogatory way. I don't mean that to be like, oh, this movie is garbage. I completely want to throw it out. My biggest issue with the movie is that 
in mixing all of these tones, the comedy, the fantasy elements, and the horror, this movie kind of feels like it's a little all over the place. And what I would ultimately want from a movie like this is for it to either have been directed by, say, a Mike Flanagan who would take this concept of, hear me out, guys, a house (laughs) that makes you see things and make it very, very, uh, with a tragic family drama at the center of it and make it a compelling narrative filled with emotional highs and lows. I I don't know. Something tells me that maybe Hmm. that's in Mike Flanagan's wheelhouse. I don't know. I don't don't know where you're getting that. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, Or I would want this directed by Sam Raimi, because, oh my gosh, like, because, like, there were some creature effects in here. And when the goofy tone finally kicked in, I was looking at this going, why is it that I'm not feeling what I feel when I watch Evil Dead 2? Mm. What What's missing from this that, like, I am enthralled and delighted when I watch Evil Dead 2. Why don't I, why do I feel like there's something off here? It feels like like kind of like you said, where it has all these different elements and all these different tones. It does have the comedy. It does have the fantasy. It does have the horror. It's almost like because there's so many of them that it goes back and forth between sort of bouncing around like a pinball machine that it yeah, doesn't and quite. And none of them are delivered strongly. Well, yeah, it doesn't quite go far enough in any particular element, maybe. Yeah, I kind of wanted this movie to just pick a lane. <laughs> And that's not that to say that you can't mix all those different elements. Um, But when you're dealing with very, very serious subject matter like Vietnam PS, you know, PSD. What am I trying to talk? Post traumatic PTSD. Oh, my gosh, guys, I am sorry. (laughs) I don't don't know where I'm at this morning. But when you're dealing with very serious subject matter like um, PTSD from the Vietnam War and you're dealing with the trauma of having lost a child and like dealing with a familial divorce that it kind of comes out of left field when all of a sudden he's dressing in his army fatigues again and slides out of his house and throws (laughs) up his arms and goes, "Woo!" because his trial run went well. It's, it's, there's, there's a lot of good stuff here. There's a lot of good stuff here. And I would say some of the comedy does, in fact, work. It's just the way it all comes together feel like because I that like so much of the movie was felt so separated, like his his Vietnam uh, backstory and the story of his lost child and then the story of him trying to deal with the current haunting quote unquote in his Mm -hmm. house everything felt so segmented I kept waiting for the movie to come together and when it came together at the end I wasn't necessarily disappointed I was just like I feel like there were ways the story could have been told better to either be funnier and goofier and more comedic or be really dramatic and emotionally effective. And I think it would have taken a director like Sam Raimi 
to make it both of those things. Because if you go back and you watch Evil Dead, like you really, or specifically Evil Dead 2, you really do feel for Ash um, in certain moments when he's mourning his girlfriend. And oh, yeah. Yet it still becomes hilarious at very, uh, mm-hmm. you know, oh, various yeah. places. And it all kind of fits together somehow. Yeah, somehow. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how Sam Raimi does it. But um, so I would want something like that where you get the emotional payoff of this very, very tragic journey. But you're also kind of laughing your ass off, too, like as you get there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So so how many houses out of 10 would you give house? I'm going to give it a six. Um Yeah, like I I didn't, like I said, I didn't hate it. I just want it to be, like, I want to give it a note that says, see me after class. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You went better better than average. Well, I, again, unlike She Dies Tomorrow, (laughs) this movie actually entertained me occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I am on. Cheap date. (laughs) I'm I'm on a pretty similar. you know, uh, I'm of a pretty similar opinion as as both of you. I'm not quite as down on it as uh, as Jess, <laughs> but you know, I I feel like this movie would be is like maybe an ideal movie to play like in the background of like a college party or like if you have all your buddies over from high school and you're you know secretly having drinks or something. This, then... this would be a fun movie to tailgate at a drive-in. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you like know that. what I would really like, especially for like the first hour of the film. I was like, you know what? I was one of those kids who, in middle school, during when they started replaying edited for television versions of uh, <laughs> Tales from the Crypt, they would no. show them at midnight on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I would sit down <laughs> like at midnight uh, in the summer. And I'd like play solitaire and just watch Tales from the Crypt. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. This feels like a movie that I would watch like right before sitting down for an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a certain campiness to it, you know? And like uh, the there's design. There's no camp of some like of this... 80s camp, right? There's no <laughs> camp oh, like 80s camp. You know, and I was reading up on the production a little bit. And so, first of all, the budget for this movie was $3 million, which, I mean, even in 1986 is, you know, not a big budget movie. But it made, at the box office, it made, like, $22 million. Um, How? I'm not, not sure. Sh- but, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, and there was obviously a lot of, of care and, you know, passion put into this movie. Like, it says, um, you know, they got this uh, this Victorian manor. They had recreated large portions of it uh, of the interior on sound stages in LA uh, or in Hollywood the creatures were constructed by 17 special effects artists over a period of three and a half months minutes like there's this uh the the war for, demon for, for some of for some of them I I feel like that totally tracks and makes sense and then there are other ones where I'm like are, are why do it? Why do I feel like I'm watching like Garbage Pail Kids or something? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, it's it's just you know I guess that just goes to show that there's no camp like '80s camp. I mean, somehow this movie found its audience in 1986, and maybe it's just because it was it's so in places it's so goofy kind of 
And there were definitely moments where it it I, I really burst out laughing, you know. But then when you try and balance it against like this much more serious story about this guy who's a writer and a and a Vietnam War veteran who's basically trying to keep his shit together because uh you know his his son has gone missing and is you know he's getting divorced from his wife like it didn't quite like it just felt almost like a couple of, of different movies like you know sandwiched together yes in and a way it's so it's so weird because a lot of the movies that it and like a lot of the the media that it feels like is all smushed together uh, came out after this film. Like, I, I was making a lot of allusions specifically to Mike Flanagan's adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House, which I feel like there's there are certain things in this movie that feel very reminiscent of that series. But obviously, this <laughs> movie uh, predates a lot of that. Although The Haunting, the the film Haunting, you know, has been remade several times. Da, 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 da. It's an adaptation from a book from a million years ago. It's fine. But no, I mean... There really is something here. There, There's something here, and I, I just, I feel like it, it comes together a little misshapen, but, like, you can still see where a lot of the hard work and good ideas pay off. Mm-hmm. It's just such a shame that, like, I don't know, maybe, I want them to throw more money at this, or I want the script to have another, another... <laughs> Needed just another give couple it an, of passes. Even just one more pass, I think, would have been enough. Mm-hmm. Well, they I took three more passes. <laughs> and <laughs> three sequels. I, I think we should, uh, just for fun, just watch and review those three and hopefully uh, chronicle a progression and some sort of forward momentum in, you know, skill and storytelling and How is this a franchise? (laughs) Yeah. How is this a franchise? And a franchise I've never heard of. Right. I had never heard of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't hear about this movie till yesterday because you thought... We were talking about what were we... well. There's a there's a Japanese film called House, which I think is from the 70s or what? What year is it from? Uh, 77, I believe. 77, yeah. So. I've also never seen. You wanted to do a watch party of it a little while back, so that's what I thought we were watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you texted me about it. Uh, yeah, we started, but yeah, I think we should do the Japanese one too because that one uh, I think is a bit more cohesive than this house and Interesting. is also yeah and is also uh like. Like uh, dials up the you know the crazy meter qu- quite a bit more than this, if you can believe that. So uh, in any case, back to the current house uh, that we're talking about, not the Japanese house, not House MD with Hugh Laurie, not that which, one. which is, is also the first fantastic. Thing. If, if you search, uh, yeah. if you search for House in Amazon Prime, uh, House the television show is the first thing that comes. Yeah, right, first right. fifteen results. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I also give this a six out of ten. Six out of ten. Okay. Um, um, and with that, I think we ought to move on to spoiler territory. Well, real so quick spo- before we oh. before we jump jump into the the fun part of the conversation. Um, uh, speaking of what we rate it, um, I got on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Interesting. And, and checked how it did. And yeah, how, just, did, how did the critics feel about just a <laughs> just a fourteen seconds ago? I also just now looked up. Uh, Hausu, H-A-U-S-U, which is the 1977 Japanese or Chinese, whatever. Um, But uh, the Asian version got from critics a 90%. 
And by the way, these two movies are not related in not at all. No, no. To share a title. <laughs> okay. So it got ninety from the on the tomato meter from the critics, and the audience gave it an eighty percent. That's the Japanese film, right? That's the Japanese now, film. Now, what about and this one that we're talking the, about? the 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 one we're talking about today? Um, I'm gonna have to go ahead and you know relate to this a little more. The critics shockingly gave it a fifty-seven percent. Oh. And okay. uh, the viewers, that tracks. <laughs> uh, the audience gave it forty six. So, wow! Once again, what is up with these critics at Rotten Tomatoes? I wonder what those numbers would have been in nineteen eighty six, though. Honestly, I mean, it made twenty two million dollars for yeah. Pete's sake. How did it do that? How come I can't fail into twenty two dollars? <laughs> twenty two million dollars. Sorry, twenty two million dollars. No, I guess got to keep trying. I think that like this is one of those movies where I think if like you you could bring your kids to a scary movie like this and like they'd yes. have a good yeah, time. Yeah, because it's you know? not scary. Yes. Exactly. And, and and there are points where like if you're 10 years old, you do get a fright, you know, for sure. But it's still fairly, yeah. I will admit there are one or two moments in this film that are genuinely a little chilling or unnerving, but they just they don't last long enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it I don't think it really creates or ma- or even in in the the brief moments that it creates them doesn't maintain uh the, the right sort of atmosphere to kind of hang all of these tones and elements onto in a cohesive way. Yeah. Um, I feel like, but it is now time for spoilers. Spoiler alert, everyone. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. So lock the front door and don't let this movie in your house. <laughs> well, what but, Megan But Jess, hmm? the house is Ooh, already here. It's already here. We're already in dun, it. Dun dun Q eighty synth music. Um so, Megan, what is it you think that stands out about this movie and maybe has allowed it to uh, stick in the memory uh, in the past? I'm not even going to try to do the math since 1986. Um, can I ask a genuine question? Please. Has it? Because, <laughs> like That's I said, I've never, I've never heard of this. Uh, has it really stuck around in the public consciousness, or is it just? fondly remembered by kids from the 80s who watched it with their parents at a drive-thru and enjoyed it. Maybe that I, is what I, it is. I genuinely yeah. want to know. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, I, you know, I grew up during the, the 80s and 90s, and so I must have seen this. I must have seen it on cable or, like, maybe, like, HBO or something when I was, like, 10 or 12, something like that. And so I just, like... I hadn't seen it since then. You had either. HBO as a child, you were rich. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who lived in a house with nine bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, well, right? right. You just said you lived in a gigantic house as a kid. <laughs> the houses were cheap back then. That was before the whole housing market exploded. That's well, true. you know, I, I mean, I, I think that you're onto something though, Megan, because my memory of it was that it was like bizarre and like scared me a couple times. That was really the extent of it. And I couldn't like, you know, I didn't remember most of the details about the movie. I just had this like vague memory of it. And I always remembered the poster with that, like, you know, with that zombified hand, Hand, like putting the thing in. And uh, there's a couple elements of it that I think kind of excited my imagination as a kid, like how like these sort of like extra dimensional spaces that open up inside the house. That that was real interesting to me for some reason. 
Yeah, if I were to venture a guess as to why this movie has stuck around for the people who do remember it, my guess would be that it's an it's a haunted house story that doesn't necessarily adhere to normal haunted house conventions. Like, we don't even know for sure if this house is haunted. It doesn't seem like it is. I think the house itself is just an entity. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't actually think it's ghosts or or demons necessarily. Like, I think this house is just an entity or some sort of trans-dimensional yeah. space. Yeah, it's not like anything happened in the house that made it that way. The house was just made yeah, to yeah. be this way. We get zero explanation for what these creatures are. Zero. Yeah, or well, why they're all so completely different from each other. Like, there's no... Yeah, <laughs> there's and no... that trend continues for 100 and I don't know how many minutes. There's, like, no <laughs> common thread and no explanation as to why all of these various uh, uh, entities would be associated with this house. Like, it just doesn't... Yeah. There, there. It doesn't... Nothing really follows from anything else, you know? Yeah, and it's like the movie starts out with... Um, there's a kid that comes up to this big house... Which, uh, the opening scene of the film, like, the credits in the beginning, the one thing I noticed that jumped out right away was, you know, they start showing, like, pictures of the house, shots of the house. And the house itself, as I watched the movie, they kept showing the, like, exterior architecture of the house. Yeah, they kept cutting back to, like, that same shot. (laughs) Yeah, and the lights are going off and on. But if you look at the, the architecture of the house, it's just like the movie. It's like... Different sections of the house have a different look, and they're just not blending and fitting together, you know? Just like all the different, you know, comedy, fantasy, and horror, you know, aspects of the film don't mesh together real good, and that's even relates to the shape of the house itself. But uh, the movie starts, shots of the house, and then it says, house! And it goes, duh! And you're like, whoa, <laughs> scary. And they use the Stranger Things... Like font, you know, just the red letters on the black background and stuff. I was like, oh, it's going to be Does that good. mean Stranger Things used the house font? Dun, That's, dun, yeah. Dun. So the story, the story begins with a grocery boy who identifies as such. He's like, it's the grocery boy. Like, and he calls himself. Come on, yeah. come on, dude. You are a grocery man. You are That's not right. a grocery boy. <laughs> but he enters yeah. the house, and it's this huge house. And I love old houses, all the wood and the arching doorways. Same. Oh, just, yeah. I so mean, cool. the grandfather clock looks like it was built into the wall. Also kind of weird. But uh, I just love old houses because they, in and of themselves, are kind of spooky. After dark, you know, just walking through a big old house, you can't help but get that little chill up your spine. But this kid's wandering around, and then he walks into this room, and he finds the owner of the house, who is our protagonist's aunt, elderly aunt. She had hung herself, but this kid walks in the room, and this old lady is literally swinging from the rope. It's as if she just hung herself and he decides four to seconds. The other direction. Yeah, four seconds ago, she's yeah. like swinging. I was like... Wow, how long has she been there? Not long. But he just runs away and, you know. Yeah. So, Jess, what would you say, where would you say the, this this movie succeeds in being entertaining, if you think it does at all, and where does it struggle? It succeeds in being a campy, 
trip back through time to the 80s. Mm. It's like I mentioned earlier about kids having much better movies to remember from their childhood. This is something that uh, when I watched it, it's like, oh, I remember that movie. I should watch that again. 30 years later, I'm watching it. And it's like, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what pretty much everything was back in the 80s. There was this was sadly more of the norm. I think it does throw into sharp relief how lucky we were to have John Carpenter and oh, yeah. people like that, you know, back then. Like, there's there's a place for these, you know, these campy movies, but, like, I do think that there are movies that do, like, the camp, like, horror comedy yeah. better than this movie. K- kids these days don't know how bad it could be. <laughs> <laughs> Where you watch something like this and you're like, God bless you, Wes Craven. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I, like, I liked... Like like we mentioned before, the interdimensional, you know, doorways and portals in the house. It's a good idea. Now, I think my, I legit think my favorite moment of this movie was when he breaks open the medicine cabinet window yeah. and there's just this vast emptiness yeah. and, and he decides to explore it. Like, I think and he's that's like, like, Jimmy? You know, that part of the movie and maybe only that part, but it reminded me of this book called House of Leaves. Have either of you two ever heard of that? I've heard of it. Yeah, it's it's basically it was written in this kind of experimental way. So I would not recommend getting the ebook if you ever decide to read it, like get a hard copy, because it's one of these books that's like very meta in the sense that it's like you're reading through these pages that somebody typed, but then like somebody else went through and like made notes in the margins and like things like that. But basically the idea of that of that book, House of Leaves, is that, that, you know, this this guy moves, buys this house and moves in and he's like, I don't know, he's doing some remodeling or something. And so he's like measuring stuff. And then he realizes that like when he measures like the upstairs like rooms or whatever, that the inside of the house is bigger than the outside of the house. It, but l- not by like a lot, by like it's bigger on the inside, but yeah. like an by like an inch and a half or something. But he's like, wait, now this this can't be true. You know, this can't be right. So he like goes he is like goes to the hardware store with his buddy and he's like, look, we're gonna figure this shit out. And they buy like, you know, lasered like, you know, me- you know, things that measure and like make sure everything's level, you know, on the inside and like all this stuff. And they finally, finally measure it like precisely. And they were wrong. It's not an inch and a half bigger on the inside. It's like an inch and three quarters of an inch bigger on the inside or something. I, I'm always <laughs> off. When I measure stuff, I'm always off by like an inch and a quarter. But like, and then there's and there's something about this like weird door, you know, uh, that they couldn't open and they go in and like there's this like vast like cavern of like crazy shit like under the house. It it's actually gets really scary. I don't, I think that's the last book that legit like scared the crap out of me. But in that moment of the movie House, because like he leans out the window and he like looks at the he like looks at the outside of the house and he like feels it with his hand, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, but yeah, that is a that was a one of the things that probably just kind of excited my imagination about it. So so do you think there's anywhere else that it succeeds in being entertaining, Megan? And where does it struggle? I think I mean we we've kind of touched on it already. I think where it struggles is. In meshing all of these tones and ideas mm-hmm. together. And and yeah, there are one or two creature effects where it's like, oh, um, huh. Like the, the entity in the closet looks great. It looks like the thing. Yeah. The, it, the like guy opens the door horror. and is attacked by the thing. It's like, ah. Yeah, this, this body horror monstrosity. But like, this is the perfect It also came of, out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, like wow, well, I got a thought. Uh, I got to photograph this. 
Like, there was no slow burn to the first, like, appearance of a monster. It was like, everything's, like, fine, and it's, you know, and then suddenly it just hops out of the closet. And, and that's one of the things that threw me off so much about it was, and I think to an effective degree, is that, yeah, it went from zero to 60, because mm-hmm. I thought, again, not knowing anything about this movie, because the first half hour was so much time spent, you know, he's... He goes to his aunt's funeral. He gets possession of this house. He's running extremely late on this this book manuscript that he needs to get done by the end of the month, or he's going to be in financial trouble. Um, he's going through a divorce. His son is missing. The next, yeah. the subject matter of the next book, which is why he's struggling so much, is memories of guilt and PTSD from the Vietnam, you know, war. And so I'm sitting here expecting this movie to really be a psychological drama where regardless of whether or not the the house is haunted. Two words you don't need to use. (laughs) Well, I I really thought that like because so much time was spent establishing this guy's personal problems, Mm -hmm. I really thought that regardless of whether or not the house was haunted, this was going to be the story of his descent into madness. Right. And then here comes Melty Mike all of a sudden out of the closet. And then, yeah, this monster. And I think this moment actually is a perfect distillation of why this movie doesn't work. Um, This, you know, the, the clock strikes midnight. This monster emerges and attacks from him. It's a body horror Lovecraftian monstrosity. <laughs> yes. It's insane. Nothing prior to this has led us to believe that we are about to see anything Not like this. Not a single hint that I mean, something like this was on the way, you know. I mean, the, the, I mean, he did see this vision of his aunt right before she committed suicide. But that was like that, a ghostly yes. like, visitation. Yeah, that was again, later on in the movie. Again, literally, it, it's... It's, it's leaning more towards the this house is haunted side of things. Uh, also, fuck, the real estate agent almost shoots this guy oh. in the head with a harpoon <laughs> and does not react to it yeah. at all. Nonchalant <laughs> near murder. Super, <laughs> super casual. So like, um, okay, so oh, this monster, monster attacks him. Uh, he survives, manages to subdue it and push it back into the closet and then there is absolutely no weight given to that moment. Yeah, then he's just like he, bumming around the house or something. Well, no, what what happens? He 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 staggers away. We get a goofy wipe transition and we go into the next day where he starts setting up all these traps and that's when we get the really first super goofy moment of him having set up this elaborate trap and then like testing it out before getting embarrassed in front of his neighbor and <laughs> leaps out oh, the front man. door and slides this this is the perfect distillation of why this movie doesn't work yeah. something dramatic scary and unnerving happens and there's no like there's absolutely no weight given to it we don't get to see him react we don't get a couple moments like really focusing on the terror that he has just witnessed it is just he staggers away wipe transition which in and of itself is goofy and corny mm-hmm. transition <laughs> and into a goofy bit with a with a you know little joke at the end yeah and so like I, I think the big problem with its, this movie is that it's not well directed. And I, I, I feel terrible saying that. But like, 
again, in a in a different kind of movie. Like, I feel like a director would have allowed that moment to sink in before mm-hmm. we transition into the funny bit. Like, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Sorry, Jesse. I know you've been, you've been okay. trying to make a point. So please go go for it. Whatever it is you were trying Everything to say. Everything you said is 100% spot on. But just like the movie, we also have skipped over a very important plot point, even though we've mentioned it multiple times, which is his son is missing. Yes. Yes, yes. And has been missing for a while. He had the exact same reaction. It's like his son's missing, and that's not important at all to the story until, like, 45 minutes plus later. There's no grief. There's no Well, it doesn't really reveal that that's what's going on with him right away. And I guess that alone, you know, can't isn't necessarily bad, but they well, don't... Yeah, but the thing is, it's like his son, you know, that's when it first starts getting weird. His son's sitting there doing something in the yard, and he's working in the garage or something. Then he turns, and his son's gone... Her son calls, and he's running around looking for her son, runs in the house, calls for I, I thought it she was really chilling when he goes out into the front yard, and you see the tail lights the, yeah, of another the, car. It like, just tears off down the road, yeah. It's like, oh, the was... kid got kidnapped, and then he runs into the backyard, and the kid's in the pool, drowning and he in the pool. In the so pool. he dives in to try and save him, and he jumps into this pool, which also is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. <laughs> he's, like, swimming around in there, looking all over in this vast, you know, cavernous pool, and his son's just gone. And then the next scene is he meets Norm from Cheers. <laughs> and the guy's like, hey, can you autograph my book? Which he has a copy of in his back pocket. Without a cover without or whatever. Without a apparently. cover or a... Right after insulting this guy's late aunt, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Can we get into the fact that George went in this movie, is the most intrusive neighbor ever. <laughs> he is a super nosy neighbor yeah. to the point where he even calls the guy's ex-wife and oh, is like... He, well, oh. no, see, that's one of the things I want to talk about. This movie just glosses over things like missing persons. There's no investigation. There's no cops showing up. There's, they're not like. Well, to, like to be even, fair, the, I get the impression that the kid's been missing for a significant period of time and the police have basically just given up on it at this point. Yeah, but then the following scene is he meets a new neighbor well, that he just it, moved in next to. It's also very strange because this guy is a well known author. You yeah. think that, right. like, a kidnapping case oh, yeah, of a very well Yeah. I mean, the this... movie Gone Baby Gone from 2007 with Casey Affleck and Morgan Freeman could have been made from that scene of the kid going missing, you know? There's a whole movie made on this thing, and they just kind of gloss over it and move on to the next part. The, of the, the kid terrible felt more story. like a like a like a plot device, or yeah, exactly or like Megan well, said earlier. I I really <laughs> like the idea of like you know a person like uh, this bit in particular felt like it was a. Uh, the main focus of a Twilight Zone episode where like, yeah. you know, like I think there actually is a Twilight Zone episode where a couple kids jump into the pool and they're in another dimension now and their parents are like, wait, come back. We promise we won't <laughs> fight anymore. And they're like, yeah, we're over it. No, we're not coming back. <laughs> More like Twilight Zone. I, I have to say about that portion of the movie where he he does lose his son. I found it to be 
nightmarish in a very it was you know it was chilling in a very sort of dreamlike way you know it could all almost have been a dream sequence it was where he's having a nightmare than the rest of the movie it was yeah it yeah. Really was because you're talking about you know like he glances over his kids right there like playing with a truck or something right and then he, he takes like his eyes off of him for a second. A second. That's Looks how back. It is every time. He's gone. And there's that like initial like as a parent of like <gasps> like where your like breath catches in your throat because like where the hell is he? Right? He was just there a second ago. That's what I mean when there are moments where this movie is genuinely chilling. And like that's one of them. Yeah. And then of course, you know, he goes out to the front and seeing that car tear away in the background was like really kind of scary too. Because yeah, it was it super really... unsettling. And was that was that a construct of the house? Do we think, or was that like? Well, I you could argue that I guess, given that uh, we don't know what the you know it was never really established what the <laughs> limitations on. His well, power. we do know that the kid wasn't kidnapped. I don't think that the car itself was a construct of the house, although we do know that the constructs of the house can exist outside of it because the dog mm-hmm. takes the zombie hand away and then it comes right. back later. Right. So right. we know that. That's kind of what I like about this house, too, is that the constructs that it creates aren't just illusions. They're Mm -hmm. real. They are physical things. Like when it changes the space inside of itself, that space has literally altered. It's not like, ooh, it's just making you see things that aren't there. No, 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 no. That is that is a flesh and blood being that is hitting you on the back of the head with the gun that you dropped. Yeah, it's like yeah. all these movies with haunted houses and stuff. How come it's always the house itself and the yard itself? But once you get to the fence, to the neighbor's yard, all haunting stops. Do ghosts and supernatural, interdimensional, extra-dimensional beings, respectful of they the respect the, <laughs> the laws that the zoning board put in place? It's like, all right, uh, wrong address. You know? Hey, they might be ghouls, but they respect the, <laughs> the property line. Yeah. Those neighbors sure are ghouls, honey. They're, you know, it's, it's They the respect rule. the homeowners association. That's right. <laughs> well, they have to, I mean. Yeah. They're like, we're monsters, but we're not going to deal with that. <laughs> I, I really feel like it wasn't totally thought through, like, the rules of the house's power, though, because it just says does so many disparate things that, like, you know, it doesn't all it doesn't always quite track. But um, I think there are, you know, like we were saying, some moments that do work as, as like horror or like scary or like very chilling moments. Like another one, I think, is when. His ex-wife comes to the door and he's like, wait, what are you doing here? And she's like, what are you doing with that shotgun? He's like, nothing, nothing. What are you doing here? And she says, well, I just wanted to come and see you. And then isn't that like it? I guess that's in the morning. I mean, the part like, okay, yes, it turns into a garbage pail kids and makes like a really (laughs) like silly laugh at him. Well, the it's got the helium monster girl has that high pitched helium voice yeah that was hilarious terrible and i did laugh out loud but but that that first moment after he shoots the monster and steps outside and sees the the dead body of his wife uh like for a couple minutes i did think to myself 
shoot, did he act like did the house trick him into killing right. her? Yeah. In like a very again haunting of Hill House sort of way. Mm-hmm. Or like is it still messing with him? And then it, it didn't take me long to remember, like, oh wait, no, she said she had to be on set at six thirty right. in the morning. So this probably isn't her. So but it, like it, in the moment when his neighbor looks over too, like from his view, like there's like bushes in the way of like what's down at his feet. So you can't even tell. You can't for verify sure from yeah. his point of view. You know what I mean? Right. But he's the nosy neighbor always staring, you know, over the fence like the guy from Home Improvement. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he calls the cops for an attempted suicide or supposed suicide or whatever. And the cops show up. And um, once again, this is a famous writer. And he's had his son recently go missing. And the cops interview him and come into the house. And through the next couple scenes <laughs> the the guy gives them every possible signal <laughs> that something to show is them that the, the, the jig is afoot and they're like hmm can i use your bathroom okay have a nice day sir yeah and they just walk out and they just gloss over that's every part of this movie that should be something is just glossed over and not focused on yeah. at all there's there's no narrative significance to anything. Now, if it was like one of those things where like all these intruders to the house, well, uh, they get like um, the house hypnotizes them and makes them like zombies, so they don't. Focus you know, but there wasn't important. any indication of that. None of that. And it's was and wouldn't there shitty. have been blood on the porch or whatever, oh, yeah. like from yeah. the shotgun? There's blast shitty the- police work. There's missing persons. There's lots of trespassing. Uh, there's not breaking and entering, but they're surely entering. There's a whole list of crimes <laughs> that <laughs> you know take that- place in this movie that no one cares about. And, and if you notice, one of on. those cops was uh, Stephen Williams, who's an actor. He was the black cop. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an actor who's been in a whole bunch of stuff. Like he was in Blues Brothers. He was in the recent It movie. He was in the X Files. He's been. Oh, like, he wasn't It. Yeah, I knew he looked familiar, but I didn't look him up. Stumptown. Because. I hated his character. True detective. Like, and I think he does play a cop a lot. (laughs) He's got that demeanor or something. But yeah, it's like even later in the movie, his other neighbor, this blonde lady who's trespassing, just shows up in his pool. And I mean, why wouldn't you want a hot blonde in a bikini or a swimsuit in your pool if you're a wild and crazy guy? But she just shows up uninvited. And then she's like, oh, I'll talk to you later. And then there's a as knock on the door. he's burying a corpse. A yeah, really right. burying a corpse. Burying yeah. I actually laughed out loud when she was like over the top flirting with him as yeah. he's like trying to keep the demon thing from grabbing her. <laughs> yeah, it's in the garbage her. bag after he beheaded it. Yeah, and, and this is this is one of those things where it's it's a crazy, it's an insane comedy routine, but parts of it work. Like, it, it's so yeah. weird. But then, but then like, she comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Her next entrance in the movie is just knocking on the door. That like, was so unbelievable to me when she came. This is actually a great segue into another question I had, which is what do you think is the balance of horror and comedy in this film and how scary is it and how funny is it? Oh. But like the stuff with the neighbor, Tanya, really, some of it made me laugh. Like when, you know, she was flirting with him and he was trying to keep the <laughs> While he's burying a a corpse yeah. of a monster, but then right? she she like basically pawns off babysitting on him, which is crazy because like she doesn't know this guy. Yeah, no. she's like, can Why you watch my kid? Accept... I'm going out on a date, and he's like, uh, look, okay. I get it. 
it's hard when you're a single mom. I understand. <laughs> yeah. We we just did an entire podcast about how hard things are when yes. you're a single mom and the only p- supportive person in your network is your very kind next door neighbor. So then would that. you go over to that next door neighbor who just recently had his son drown in a pool <laughs> right? due to negligence and drop That's child endangerment. Hello. More crime. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> why would you do that what is kind of weird about it 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 actually does make me wonder if in fact weird stuff does extend past the property line for this particular house is he and his uh his wife clearly lived in this house for a time with his aunt when she was still alive before their marriage fell apart and and you know they they clearly moved out and she and the aunt later committed suicide like they lived in this house for a time why was his son disappearing the first time anything weird happened and two why are all of these neighbors not acquainted with him already well hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on because he lived in that house his whole life and he said that he grew up in it too yeah well i i my understanding was he grew up in the house because like i'd always go spend summers at my grandma's and aunt's houses um, when I was growing up, but I was under the understanding that the aunt lived there for years and years. It was part of his childhood, and then he grew up and moved away and found his wife and got married and had a child. Okay, so were they and just then visiting? she killed herself. Maybe they were just visiting because and obviously his kid was, you know, disappeared on that property. Well, so there was, there was, wasn't really explained. I thought, because there was that other old lady in the movie, I thought that was like the aunt's sister or something no that was the aunt that was the actual aunt yeah that was the aunt okay it was like so that's it was a one flashback. more problem i have with this movie is they don't explain all the different time jumps that take place because in chronological order none of that makes it's, sense you know this goes back to us saying like do another pass on the script yeah, please. yeah. you know th- these are things that could have been clarified yeah and they assembled much. a team three times to do it <laughs> well, you know, we'll see one imagines that, that the uh, the sequels get better, uh, which is yeah. not something you usually say about sequels, but how could you not? Um, and like but, you mentioned earlier, uh, George went, you know, when he just comes in the house and then steals the guy's address book. There's theft. Another <laughs> that, crime. Was another, that was another <laughs> Honestly, weird thing. Honestly, that in and of itself was also one of the most chilling parts of this film is this guy, that you know, next door neighbor, I'm your biggest fan, and then comes into the house, steals the guy's telephone, like, address book, and then walks out. Like, no joke, that, and maybe it's just because we, we live in a, we live in a society. No, we just live in a world where there are so many, like, access to, to celebrity personalities mm. is so yeah. easy now because of, that like, scene Twitter. That made me go, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like, that, that. that scene could be the core of, like, a whole, like, Stephen King book or something. You know, the I super mean, fan that's, that steals That's what it was. Book. It was misery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for a couple seconds, I thought this was going to turn into a misery scenario. <laughs> Yeah, and that was just after, you know, the scene where he saw the monster for the first time and set up the cameras and then was choreographing his uh, stupendous escape from the house at, like, midnight. And he runs out the door and slides on his knees down the sidewalk with his arms up and then looks and there's fucking neighbor guy with his dog (laughs) shitting in his yard. It's like, what you doing? (laughs) Letting your dog shit inside my fence 
at midnight. I, you know, I did. I, I know. did like that. He turns to the dog and he's like, look, <laughs> right. Like being a writer looks fun. doesn't yeah. it?" Like, I, I think that was genuinely the, the most authentically funny part of the movie. But again, it came on the heels of like a moment where they're like, it, it just, it felt so out of place, even though it was genuinely funny. Like again, yeah. there needs this movie. I don't know if it's the fault of the editing or the fault of the directing, but so much of this movie feels disjointed. <laughs> yeah, very disjointed. It's almost um, like they filmed the whole thing over a two-day span. And they're like, well, this next scene is supposed to take place in uh, the afternoon, but it's dark out and we have to film right now, so let's make it happen. And it's two o'clock in the morning. This dude's walking into, I don't know. Just... I think the whole disjointed nature of it, honestly, like, and, you know, I, I hate, like, saying things that could be negative about filmmakers who obviously poured their heart and soul into it. Uh, or, you know, at least worked very hard on it. That's that's why I feel bad saying this is poorly directed. But like, I, I think it comes that. down to the directing and the writing, you know, as like the writing is like what it's all based on. And then the directing is essentially how it's executed. And I have no problems with the actors. You know, they're just working with what they got, you know, yeah. and like all the effects people did like a great job and stuff. But it's like stylistically not super consistent you know, tonally inconsistent through the whole thing. But I will say there are moments that made me funny, uh, that made me laugh. And I think sometimes, to your point, Megan, it was funny. Be things were funny, like they would be like out of place. And maybe that's what contributed to like the nervous, you know, titter that I was able to give to the moment. But another moment where I like literally really laughed out loud was when he uh, breaks through the mirror in the medicine cabinet and he's like descending the rope and he gets getting harassed by that like skull pterodactyl mm. monster by thing. that flying deadite monster. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but suddenly, suddenly, like it takes his shotgun and suddenly it's a fucking gun gunslinger because yeah. it's like whoosh and it like shoots the rope and he falls down. But like suddenly it was a, an expert in like flipping this gun around and using it. And I just thought that was so weird. I know, so. like, and that's that's what I'm talking about when I say like there's stuff like this that feels like it's right out of a Sam Raimi movie, yeah. um, like that. It it felt very goofy evil dead but like at the same time i'm like I, I i just i want that i want so badly for this movie to just pick a lane i will say that uh talking about why nothing weird happened to this guy while he was growing up in this house like there is something to the idea that the house itself because, like, uh, you know, the ghost of his aunt uh, did say, like, it knows everything about you. It's going to trick you. There is something to the idea that his experience in Vietnam, like, say that time he was visiting, he and his family were visiting his aunt. Say that's the first time he's been back in this house since his horrible experience in war. Mm -hmm. There is something to the idea that the house being able to kind of, like, read a person and pick up on what it could use to manipulate them, that it reads this horrifying experience he had in Vietnam and uses that to manifest this apparition of his old friend and yeah. then use that, use his own feelings of guilt and trauma to 
take away his son, who arguably is probably the best thing in his life, and use that to try to lure him to And one of the better actors in the movie. <laughs> and, and then use that to try to lure him to his doom. Like, there's something to that, story beat-wise. There's something... Yeah cool and compelling about that it again it's just the execution of it is so goofy i I think that's a really great analysis megan but i think it may be uh also over generous to the coherence of the movie to say that that's (laughs) what it was doing giving the movie too much credit (laughs) you mean i get the whole bowl of candy i mean maybe i mean like it's clearly like trying to like tell a story about this guy who like if we're going to talk thematically for a second like it's it's clearly about, you know, this guy who's traumatized from the war and how that trauma has seeped into the rest of his personal life and has been in danger of destroying it. Right. So like he comes home from the war, he feels guilty, he feels, you know, he's traumatized and all this other stuff about things that happened, things he witnessed, things he experienced in the war. And then his you know, he he basically loses his son and his wife. And as he struggles through these feelings of trauma, you know, he is able to uh, overcome, like deal with those, overcome them and basically get his family back. I mean, I mean, thematically, I think that's it in a nutshell. But uh, I think that that's also I, I think that's what they were trying to do. But it's like kind of hard to get that analysis out of it based on what you get in the movie. Does well, that make sense? That's like earlier, yeah. like right when we started the podcast, uh, Megan mentioned the PTSD. You know, and that I had a light bulb went off my brain and it's like, what if this movie was attempting to do a Babadook thing? Yeah, where yeah. The PTSD, it wasn't the house at all. It was his stress from the missing child, which actually was part of the house that kind of ruins that angle. But <laughs> he's missing child, going through a divorce, got PTSD and the guilt and he's trying to write a book about his experiences in Vietnam, which is bringing up all those old emotions, getting and him stuff, to start facing it again, which will have him start hallucinating. And the house was actually feeding off of him, creating these things because of all the trauma he went through in his life. And then in the end, he learns to defeat it and beat it. But that's not the exact direction they went in. And I think if they had, the movie would have been a lot better. But there was well, never that that realization of, oh, this is me uh, confronting my trauma and my guilt and this and that. There was none of that. It was just goofy, goofy, dumb, 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 goofy, goofy, dumb, dumb. I think you're dumb. right. Like, and if they had had another pass at the script and used that, like, metaphor as, like, the guiding principle, that they could have tightened it up and it could have been more coherent. The, the closest this movie comes to that is when, um, you know, the zombie Ben uh, is holding his son hostage and he's like, I'm going to kill your son if you don't kill yourself right now for what you did. And he's like, you can't hurt me or my son. Uh, I'm not scared of you anymore. Oh, and I you think mean that the- scene that took place 45 seconds before credits rolled? <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst ending it's like <laughs> speaking it's like, of the ending real quick, it made me laugh out loud when it was like the freeze frame on him smiling at the end uh, after his wife comes yeah, home. Yeah, there's, there's no denouement. There's, so no, there's no epilogue to this that tale. Like, yeah, he's like, I know how to defeat the monster. 13 seconds later, monster defeated. 13 I've seconds later, life has returned to normal. 13 seconds later, movie ends. It's like, what? 
the fact that it was a freeze frame on his like goofy smiling face. It's like the end of like, you know, like a, an episode. Like a made of... for TV movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an African special you. or something. You know that yeah. feeling you know that feeling you have when a movie does something and there's a pause and every molecule of your being including your mouth and your voice say no and then the credits roll that's what happened with this movie it was just just stops really yeah let's let's get into the end real quick here because like okay so when the 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 zombified ghost or whatever of his old uh war buddy shows up big ben shows up i was like for a minute i was like wait a minute what the hell is the logic of this plot? Because is the house, is it the house or did he, the spirit of his friend come back and be vengeful and like take over the house? Or was the house a conduit or did the house manifest him from his like, you know, traumatic memories? That is not clear to me at all. I I think, again, if we're going with the theory that it's the the house, although the house could also be just a trans-dimensional space and therefore it could have been his spirit. But like I'm going with the theory that it was manifested by the house. Yeah. That being said, it is odd when this thing is talking to itself and he's like, I come back from the dead and I run out of ammo. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> yeah. um, like what's the purpose of doing that? If I you're will just, say like... I do like, as as kind of low rent as like the the Vietnam flashbacks sort of looked, mm-hmm. I did like the design of like Ben when he was alive looked like a caricature. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, like I did not buy the authenticity of those flashback scenes at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, but I do love the look and feel of Zombie Ben, and I think a big reason for that is if you look in the credits Kane Hodder is in this movie and I'm like ah there he is Kane Hodder my dude yeah (laughs) (laughs) for for those of you who aren't familiar Kane Hodder is the actor most well known for playing Jason uh he's played Jason in um several of the later films he's the one that played Big Ben uh he's one of the people that played Big Ben yes because Richard Mole who was a bull from Night Court, who is also like six, seven. He's a big dude. I figured that was just him playing uh, Big I mean, Ben through I the whole movie. I don't know for sure, but like Kane Hodder is listed in the credits. So I'm like, okay. Wow. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. And that's another thing about, like you mentioned earlier, the 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 graphics or the special effects. And one of the great parts of every scene with Big Ben is it in it is you can watch him talk with his teeth and then the actor's teeth that you can clearly (laughs) see within the mask behind them. He's speaking through two mouths like, wow. Wow, yeah. (laughs) By the way, this director, Steve Miner, uh, also directed a couple Friday the 13th uh, movies and Halloween movies. In the 80s? Which ones? I have to uh, Including, yeah. let's see, Friday the 13th Part 2, Friday the 13th Part 3. That's 80s. Uh, oh, he directed Warlock? I like what? Warlock. Um, Halloween H2O, 20 Years Later, Lake Placid, Day of the wait, Dead. Wait, wait, he directed H2O? Yeah. Damn it. I love H two O. So he has he has a he has he's grown, Megan, since nineteen eighty six. Well, he's and grown. I, 
I mean, I like the I like the Friday the Thirteenth movies. That, I mean, neither of them are my favorite, but I like the movies that he's directed. Yeah, I wonder- so I I don't know what's maybe it's because this one was trying to be something a little bit more than just a goofy slasher subject matter wise, but like again, execution it's just so weird. Yeah, they removed the slasher and kept the goofy. And he direct okay, so actually he directed Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, which was nineteen eighty one. Part Three was nineteen eighty two, and then this House was nineteen eighty five. So this was the third movie he directed, according to IMDb. So interesting. Yeah, that's another thing too. When I was on uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, I looked up. Uh, is it William Cat? Yeah, William. Uh, the thing they they said about him, his highest rated movie was Carrie from 1976. Mm-hmm. His lowest rated was Jawbreaker, and this is how his pitch goes on Rotten Tomatoes: a blonde lead. And supporting player of stage, screen, and TV, which is kind of strange that they're like, oh, he's a blonde guy. A blonde <laughs> what lead What a weird thing to actor. lead with, yeah. Yeah, I know. A blonde lead and supporting player of stage, screen, and TV, Cat came to prominence in director Brian De Palma's modern horror classic, Carrie, portraying a handsome athlete who pays a heavy price when he escorts the title character to the prom. Okay, went, so he was Tommy then. Right. He went on to appear in such films as the surfer feature Big Wednesday, 1978, the Western prequel Butch and Sundance the Early Years, 1979, and the horror film House, 1986. So this is one of the top three movies he's known for. And then much of Cat's subsequent feature work has been released direct to video. So this movie House could have been the final nail in the coffin <laughs> that was a career changing thing. And he was the Mr. he William was the Cat. lead character in the the show uh, Greatest American Hero, right? No. You kept you, you every time we talked about this you kept You didn't know Greatest. why I was saying that? No, I didn't. I thought you were talking about Big Ben. I thought that was like a GI Joe no, reference. No, are I you guys the aware and... of the show The Greatest American Hero? No. From the eight from the eighties or the seventies? Oh um, my god. Okay. Megan so, never knew this movie existed. Okay, no, wait. It's it's got a great premise though. It's got a great premise. So the premise is these aliens come to Earth and they drop off this like suit that gives you superpowers where you basically become Superman. Uh, and they give it to him for some reason, this regular like guy, but he loses the <laughs> instruction manual on how to use it and so constantly in the show he's like this bumbling superhero that doesn't know how to use his powers doesn't understand what powers he has so he'll like accidentally like you know like he can't like he can fly but he doesn't know how to land well <laughs> like he'll like he'll accidentally stumble through walls and stuff it's actually i used to watch it it's pretty funny it ran from 1981 to 1983 and that and was what was a i two think two-hour pilot movie we should probably watch that. Uh, yeah, we can check that out sometime. But so, okay, so, whew, all right. So we've, we've kind of talked about what this movie might have been getting at thematically. And, I mean, if, are there any other things you I, I wanted to talk to, about? Yeah. To this movie's credit, like, this movie is far more, just directorial-wise, it is more ambitious than his two previous films. Like, um, uh, the 13th. I, I will say that, like, I, I Friday the 13th Part 3 is not great. It, that's the, the wannabe 3D one. It's not great. Even though I enjoy them, they're not they're not great. But this one is 
more ambitious than those two. So like I, I should like, you know, credit where credit is due. You know, it is a very ambitious uh, like concept for a movie and like script to pull off. And so I think especially you say, if it's such a low budget. Too. Yeah, like, I think big you say that he shot for the an... moon and he landed in Lake Erie. I think <laughs> yeah. that's I think that. But I mean, you know, from the from the studio's point of view, it made it. $22 million on a $3 million budget. That's why it's a franchise. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. let, you know what? Let me look up and see what uh, House 2 uh, made. Yeah, the, all, the, all, two, the, all the Boogaloo. people that funded it were like, huh, he pulled it off. Let's see if he can do it again and again. But he didn't direct again. the second one. Oh, I don't, I'm not even sure. House 2, colon, the second story. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Okay, well that one made like almost eight million dollars, so maybe not as big of a. It definitely not as big of a. And a, yet it garnered two sequels. And it says, <laughs> "Oh wait, on Box Office Mojo, it has a like a one sentence synopsis of House Two: The Second Story. <laughs> the new owner of a sinister house gets involved with reanimated corpses and demons, searching for an ancient Aztec skull with magic oh, powers. See? Okay, a story sorry. In this one. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll talk track? about it in our next episode. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> you know what? That is so on point for a movie that was so disjointed. Yeah. Even even the sequel is disjointed from the first movie. Man in northern that's... Canada stumbles upon an ancient Mayan ruin. An Aztec skull in California. Are we playing... Freaking Mad Libs with this franchise? Is that what's happening? Is that what honestly that would explain things? How oh. awesome would it be to play like play Mad Libs and with ten people and <laughs> the winner gets to make a movie? You have a hundred million dollars to make a movie based on the best Mad Lib you can come up with in two hours. Yeah. I can't get over that it's called the second story. <laughs> Like, uh, oh man! I, granted, that I mean. That being said, I would honestly love to see this concept taken, um, it, kind of like what they're doing with Hill House right now, where it's like, hey, we had one season about one story, and I haven't watched any of Blythe Manor yet, but now we're doing a second season. Yeah, it just came out two days ago. Yeah, with completely new characters. We're, we're doing an anthology thing. I love me some horror anthologies. And right? I mm-hmm. I would love to see a horror franchise uh, about, like, an anthology franchise about one evil-ass house that, would that be can great. distort reality and the different people that come in. I mean, like... Let's yeah, put our pitch together, history. Megan, and we can go to uh, we can go to the studio and be like, "Look, we can resurrect this uh, crazy franchise for you that nobody remembers mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. a wonderful way." Let's do it. And like, and honestly, that's what remakes should do: is they should fix films that are broken, not try to recreate what's already perfect. You know, <laughs> using both new and old footage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, I like. Okay, so final thoughts on this movie. Yes. I appreciate the ambition. I appreciate the laughs that it gave me. And I appreciate, like I said, you strip away everything and the bare bones idea of a house manifesting someone's grief from their war trauma. 
and using that to try to destroy their life. Like I, I, I like those ideas. I like those ideas. I like those beats. It's just, I think, in execution, and I don't know where exactly things start to fall apart, but the pacing is off, the direction is off, and altogether, it doesn't quite come together right. And I would love to see someone take these ideas and these concepts and either make it a full-on comedy where it's super funny and really, really out there and outlandish, or I'd love to see like a sincere attempt at a familial drama mixed in with this evil entity, you know, that is this house. We've seen with things like Hill House that can be done. And not only can it be done, it can be done super well. Uh, so I would either like it to go in one of those two directions or I'd love to see a director that can adequately balance the horror and the comedy. It's not easy. Horror comedy, mm-hmm. like, it's, like, my favorite. Yoo-hoo, Sam Raimi. Yes. And it doesn't have to be Sam Raimi either. Like, yeah. things like Cabin in, you know, Drew Goddard did it with Cabin in the Woods. My and kids could direct Cabin it. in the Woods was great. Yeah. <laughs> Cabin in the Woods is fantastic. Tucker and Dale versus Evil is great. Scream works as a great satire. Like, mm-hmm. there, there are directors out there who could balance the horror and the comedy to create something both fun and entertaining and tongue-in-cheek, but also emotionally heartfelt and effective. And I'd, I'd love to see somebody take another swing at this movie and these ideas. Okay, let's get our pitch together, Megan. <laughs> let's do it! <laughs> All right, Jess, what are your final thoughts? Obviously, I have more uh, negative things to say about this movie than positive but like Megan said she wishes there was a connection between like the Vietnam PTSD and the house itself and I think it's almost like the seed of a great movie was planted in the writer director whoever's mind and as the seed started sprouting and all the different roots came out all these different roots went in all different directions like, you have the horror, you have the fantasy, you have the comedy, you have the PTSD. And there's so many different things, and none of them were really focused on in any manner that pulled the film together and left it kind of a jumbled mess in the end. And uh, I can't really say that I appreciate much of it because... Everything that I did like about the movie had no connection to the rest of the movie. Everything I didn't like about the movie had no connection to the rest of the movie. And, you know, you the list of crime. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is it's like the first uh, Purge movie. You got uh, trespassing, child endangerment, murder, suicide, uh, theft. All this stuff going on that's totally ignored. So many different, you know, plot angles to take which were not taken and if they cut out six of them and stuck to three they could have had a coherent story in the end but it's just it's just way too much stuff going on at once and like i said that's how i started it's like a child who wrote this that didn't have a support group saying oh well you can get better how about we change this how about how about how about we how about you know none of that went on so now we just have Kind of a child's movie. Well, this is 
an interesting movie. There were some, you know, uh, thing like some things that happened that uh, made me understand how it could have given me a little fright as a kid. But it is super goofy. It doesn't. It's like it just. There's so many good ideas in it, you know, to like what we've all been saying. But I just feel like the execution wasn't quite there. I really feel like if they would have done another pass at this script, they could have just tightened up a few things that would have made a huge difference. Um, yeah, like chapters two through nine. I want to read a... Uh, a <laughs> I, I found the initial review in the New York Times for this movie from 1986. Go for it. Because uh, it was released in February 1986. And I'm just going to read a couple lines. Uh, the article goes through a bunch of stuff and it talks about how somehow the house you know, decides to draw upon Roger's experiences in Vietnam to drive him crazy. And then it continues, uh, House isn't exactly consistent about this or anything else, <laughs> but it has a style that is unexpectedly snappy. Scares are not its strong suit, but it has a trim, bright look and better performances than might be expected. Better performances than might be expected. Might be expected. <laughs> yeah. well, I hope this what is a good. ringing endorsement. Incorrect. Um, there apparently was a low bar in 1986. Um, you know who I, I, I would like to take another, uh, like, uh, who I would have liked to take another crack at this movie? Hmm. Fast forward 10 years, 1996. I would have loved for 90s Tim Burton to have done this movie. Ooh. I recently rewatched Sleepy Hollow for another podcast, and that's an excellent movie that balances its horror and its comedy. Yeah, or, or I love it, that the, movie. Its campiness very, very well. I love Burton's Sleepy Hollow, always too. been able to do that. Like, if you think, you know what? We should do an episode on Beetlejuice because what yes! is that movie and how did it possibly work? You know, like. That uh, is, I love that movie. And it makes for a wonderful Broadway musical. It <laughs> <laughs> was ended far too soon. Oh. But yeah, no, like, uh, but uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Will, with what you were saying before. But yeah, wouldn't 90s Tim Burton had done, like, have done something awesome with this? This yes. would have been so cool. <laughs> yes. 90s Tim Burton, perhaps more so than today's Tim Burton. Uh, but that's a story for another time. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, we have to talk about Beetlejuice someday because I like if you yes. think about what like going into pitch that movie, like how how did anybody possibly give it the green light? I don't understand. <laughs> but hey, you know, whatever. Well, we obviously somebody said his name three times and that's how <laughs> <Yeah>. it happened. <laughs> yes. But so, you know, back to house. Um, you know, I, I think we've covered it like I, this movie is it wasn't hard for me to watch in the way that she dies tomorrow was hard for me to watch. And so <laughs> I kind of don't understand how you rated this lower than she dies tomorrow, uh, Jess. But that said, <sighs> like it was, I, I was watching this thinking, well, why, why real did, quick? Why I think this... the reason was, uh, she dies tomorrow actually tried to deliver more of a story. They actually attempted to do it and did failed. They? Whereas well, this I... movie, tried to deliver nine stories very poorly <laughs> and succeeded yeah. in zero of them. I, I think the reason so why more failure. is that there was a, a, a very sincere attempt to tackle serious subject matter in She yeah. Dies Tomorrow, yeah. whereas the serious subject matter here is very hand-waved. Um, so maybe that's yeah. why Jess is giving She Dies Tomorrow uh, a little bit more of a, the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, yeah, that sounds reasonable. I do think that the worst thing about this movie, and I hate phrasing it like that, is that the the element of the missing son 
wasn't more pervasive and wasn't more per- pervasive but in that like, should have been the the central driving yes factor, yeah well like right? i said they it, make but movies it on that part that scene of the movie turns into a whole movie or itself. if it was supposed to be the central driving you know uh, it doesn't you know, feel like the movie it. it doesn't feel well, like it's that. like it's like jimmy drowns in disappeared or quote unquote drowns in the pool and disappears and his name is not mentioned for 45 minutes and then it's like there's that one scene where he's in the house and this little remote control car rolls into the living room and he goes he picks it up and goes jimmy for like two and a half seconds he experienced <laughs> he, he he shows some emotion and then boom the next scene that's totally a forgot. moment that could have worked a lot better if uh it had been a more central element if and you know i think made anyone care about and it did, it doesn't have to be telegraphed every second of the movie but like you can just have a detail here a detail it there introduce it a little missing. earlier you know one of the most like genuinely effective moments of this movie is when he's looking at the painting that his aunt did of you know the the door of light you know and uh, all oh, sorts yeah. of cool stuff Spinning around. I like that painting, but one of the most chilling moments is when he pushes aside something that's covering the corner and it's his son in the mirror. Like that moment is, is I will say, genuinely effective. The problem yeah. is, is that nobody acts like a real person in this movie, in this yeah. situation. Like well, even, when even the son goes scene, missing. Oh, even sorry. that one scene where uh, he's like in the kitchen and he sees like a reflection of his son in the window. And he uses the remote to turn it off. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. It's like, well, get out of here, uh, stupid whatever. <laughs> it's like, the, uh, like, because we don't have any indication that he's done any sort of hallucinating prior to coming to this house. Mm-hmm. But, like, when his son goes missing and they're showing us the flashback of the moment they're talking to the police and his wife is completely distraught and his aunt comes out and says, the house did it. The house <laughs> did it. And then the the uh his, his wife i think sandy is her name runs out you know after after yelling at the aunt like you crazy old bat or something like that and she just runs out the aunt just like goofily looks towards the camera and is just like oh touchy yeah. <laughs> her son is missing you insane person i know it's like yeah there i think the you... house ate him you know that the house <laughs> ate him and you're why like ooh you touchy so why are you <laughs> I think it comes down to like the you know why this movie is the way that it is is like if you could distill it it's like moments like that next to you know moments like the kid comes in and he has the zombie hand on his back you know yeah and the way that's dealt with and, uh, and like he has to bite it off <laughs> right he's <laughs> got like his bite. eyes crossed or whatever right it's so weird it's so bizarre it's so it's so bizarre. I will say that uh, uh, when when the kid he's babysitting goes missing for a second, like literally my first thought was like, you lost another one? Come on, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then there's that moment when no like- No police anywhere. Th- this is another moment that to me like created some confusion about like what the house is doing and like what it is and it, are there it multiple wants. entities. What does like, it want? The, what does it want? Like, okay, so first, at some point, he goes out and, like, the tools attack him, but then he, like, runs, and they do, like, chase him in, but then he closes the door, yeah, and then it, that... It becomes a cartoon for a second. It is. It's a cartoon, but then, <laughs> Yeah, because like... the, the tools are doing that 1980s slow float. <laughs> right. Hunt, but hunt, it's hunt, not just hunt. that. It's the moment... They... 
when the mo- the monster the woman thing is is chasing him, and then he's like, "Oh, he's clever," and he opens the door, and the tools come through and kill the to cut off the monster's head. And I'm like, "Wait, is is the, did the house really just like?" Cut off its own monster's head. Did he really just like play? Like, did the house just play itself? What? There's another crimes to ignore. (laughs) So I feel like there's some like maybe logical inconsistencies (laughs) alongside everything else, but um, like this this is like a moment that would have been in like a Hotel Transylvania movie. Yeah. So there are moments where like it it started to shine, but then it immediately undermines itself with (laughs) something completely tonally like opposite or characters acting not like real people or just it gets like super goofy you know uh with what's going on so you know this is why i say like it might it'd be like a fun movie to like put on the background of a party or something when everybody's drinking and not nobody's paying attention you're eating pizza and drinking a beer and occasionally looking at the screen right and it's fun. It's good for some laughs and stuff. But like the movie just I, I guess, you know, when it, the movie begins to create an atmosphere or, you know, a feeling it for some reason, it just will eventually undermine itself with like switching to another genre or something. Or not even eventually, almost immediately. Almost immediately. You know, <laughs> Although, like every case. Again, to this movie's credit, even at the moments where I'm staring at my screen with my jaw agape because I'm like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Unlike She Dies Tomorrow, I wasn't constantly thinking about other things I could be doing in right. the meantime. Right. Right. So the movie, at the bare minimum, captured my attention. It is entertaining at the end Real of the Real quick, day. that's funny that you mentioned that because I had watched the first half of this movie a couple days ago and I was a little late to the recording today because I was watching it a second time to watch the whole movie and I wasn't paying attention to time very much. But while this movie was happening on the on the screen, I actually have kind of a plant fetish. And I was actually, <laughs> I had cleared off my coffee table and I brought dirt, like potting soil, into the house. And I was actually potting plants while watching this movie. And I was actively doing something else while watching this movie <laughs> didn't miss a to thing. research for this podcast. And <laughs> and I missed miss none anything. of the details. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, I think infatuated. I think we've said it all. I think I've, <laughs> we've said as much as we can say about this movie. It was entertaining at the end of the day, I guess. Uh, it's a little it's a little confounding and all the other things that we talked about. But um a uh, cinematic artifact from another age is, is what I'll call it. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So um, I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. Uh, please uh, go ahead to Apple Podcasts or your choice of podcasting platform and give us a five-star review and or rating. That really does help the show out. Jess, do you want to give our listeners our social media details? It's only fair that I give Meg her chance in spotlight. Oh, God. Thank you. Megan, please tell our listeners... <laughs> Where they can find you online and what you're doing. Uh, my name is Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I love that the Menguin. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it's a nickname from a friend in high school. Um, long story there, but uh, that that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, my I have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams where my roommate and I talk about horror things. And uh, I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost where my co-host Will Link loves Lost and I don't. And we talk about it. And finally, <laughs> I'm a member of Rooster Team Radio where me and my co-host talk about Rooster Teeth related productions, mostly animation. Uh, Red versus Blue is coming back soon, and Ruby will be starting up next month, so you can be sure that we are going to be talking about all of that soon. Woohoo! Very nice. Uh, well, uh, like Will said, you can find us on Apple Podcasts um, and anywhere you can find quality podcasts. You know where to find them. You'll find us. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, and Stitcher. You'll be able to find us at Mech Dragon. Give us a five-star thumbs-up review. Tell us, tell the world that you love us, and tell us that you love us too. Uh, Facebook, we are Mecha Dragon. Twitter and Instagram, we're at Mecha Dragon Show. And if you'd like to tell us about your haunted house and how it's scarier than this particular movie or maybe you have an evil condo or something <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah evil condo how come haunted house stories never take place in apartments or condos what's up with that uh, studio apartments haunted dudes uh mecha dragon show at gmail.com question comments corrections or topics and uh if you're planning on watching this movie soon i would like you to <laughs> choose between that or go to Netflix and watch House on Haunted Hill instead. Yeah! That's going to be fantastic. And for me, I'm going to start uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor in uh, three, two, one, action. All right. Thanks, everybody, once again. Captain Will signing out. Bye-bye. Peace. Bye. in this house. is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.